Hello, and welcome to Driverless. I'm your host, Zach Adams. Previously on Driverless, we have taken some news in the autonomous vehicle field and broken it down with the lens of attorneys analyzing what the legal implications will be. Today, we will be debuting what we plan to be the second aspect of Driverless moving forward, and that is interviews with industry leaders in the autonomous vehicle sector. To that point, today's episode is an interview we did with Mark Patton, Vice President of Smart Columbus. We were really excited to get in to speak with Mark just before Smart Columbus starts accepting passengers on their autonomous buses on December 1st. Mark and I also talked about how the key to Smart Columbus was the use of public-private partnerships and what efforts Mark and his team are making to increase knowledge and acceptance of autonomous vehicles for the public at large. We also had so many other great insights to all the amazing work that Smart Columbus is doing. I had a lot of fun recording this interview. Mark is a great storyteller, and this interview really highlights the level of passion everyone down at Smart Columbus has for autonomous vehicles. With that said, let's get rolling. All right, Mark, welcome to uh, Driverless. Thanks. It's uh, it's great to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So, Mark, we're sitting in your office here at Smart Columbus, and could you just tell us what your title officially is? I mean, it seems like you do a ton of stuff here at Smart Columbus, but what's your official title? Sure. So, uh, the Smart Columbus Initiative is a uh, a public-private uh, you know venture, really, between the city of Columbus and the private sector. So, uh, the city has a chief innovation officer, Mike Stevens, who runs really all the the city side of the initiative and then I lead the private sector side. So I work for the uh, Columbus Partnership and I'm the vice president of Smart Columbus. It's awesome and from what I understand you have a pretty interesting path that got you to Smart Columbus, right? Well, I suppose. Yeah, I spent uh, almost the last 30 years in the Bay Area. I I moved there originally to go to work for Apple in in, uh, 1985. So I guess it makes me a gray hair of the uh, the tech community. No, forever young, I think, is the right <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, Fabulous, so, I like that. So what, what brought you from the Bay Area to Columbus? I mean, I love Columbus, but what kind of made you make the decision to come over here and get this initiative off the ground? Well, I, actually, I came here in uh, in 2011 to help uh, start up Jobs Ohio, Okay. which is the state's uh, privatized economic development uh, entity. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was really a, a four to six month project, had no intention of being here beyond that. It was stand it up and uh, go back home. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really enjoyed the work, uh, really enjoyed getting to know the governor and uh, was kind of moved by the mission. And I liked Columbus yeah. and, and the stuff that we're working on. Uh, you know, it was just so great. And how everybody cooperates and, and collaborates to make it happen is uh, its just nothing like I've ever seen in any place I've ever been. So that's, I mean, it's high praise. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, I don't think we could ever pull off something like this in the Bay Area. And why is that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, Let's say the private sector and the startups and the businesses in the Bay Area just assume government doesn't know what they're doing, so they don't even make an attempt to cooperate. I mean, it's just, uh, it's like, oh, you know, we can innovate our way around this. So, so the idea in Silicon Valley is like, we're going to leave it to the private companies. We don't really need to publicly back this. Yeah, and it, I mean, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, cities need to, you know, you know, regulate certain things, and you know, you you've got two sides to you know, like most issues that you're trying to grapple with and just don't cooperate out there, you know, and every city's kind of like, well, no, no, we're going to do it this way. And, you know, granted, you know, Columbus covers a lot of square miles. Sure. Um, uh, 
you know, so you've got the ability to sort of have the gorilla, you know, help yeah. define how it's going to work sure. in the region, which is helpful. And so, you know, you come over here, um, you're doing Jobs Ohio. When did you first kind of, well, let's back up. What is Smart Columbus? Smart Columbus is maybe two things if you had to think about it. So, you know, the starting point is we won the grant. So, and you're talking about the U.S. Department of Transportation Smart City Challenge, right? Yes. Okay. So, which was uh, was something from the previous administration. The U.S. Uh, Department of Transportation put out a challenge to mid-sized cities to compete for a pot of forty million dollars to advance smart cities mobility initiatives. And as they were developing uh, what was then called the Vulcan Ventures, now the Paul G. Allen family family philanthropies, easy for me to say, uh, agreed to whoever was the winner would get $10 million to advance electrification work. So okay. put in charging infrastructure and help drive the adoption of electric vehicles. Okay. So anyway, 78 cities competed. They were overwhelmed with the response. They thought 20 cities would compete. So as they tried to sort through it, they they came up with you know a set of semifinalists. Mm-hmm. So it was seven cities. In all really great cities. So you had Portland, uh, San Francisco, Denver, Austin, Kansas City, Columbus, and uh, and Pittsburgh. And they thought uh, San Francisco was a mid-sized city. Was this before the before we started moving out there? Well, I mean, you may be surprised, but the really? next largest city from Columbus mm-hmm. is San Francisco. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, the city of San Francisco is less than 950,000 people. It's a really small square footage footprint. That was my point of, you know, we're, we we occupy a ton of geography. I would, I'm just off the top of my head, mm-hmm. from a landmass size or, you know, city size, we're probably six times the size of San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. I guess, yeah, you never think of it like no. that. But, yeah. But it's the it's reason cool. why the city, yeah. you know, is really not that much larger. Now, the metro area is, you know, yeah, significantly larger. I'm going to guess... The Bay Area has got to be five or six million people, yeah. and, and we're two point, uh, you know, two point one million. Still a lot of people, though. It's still a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you're, you, you get involved with the Smart City Challenge, right? What was your understanding of why people here in Columbus were so passionate, so excited about doing Smart City Challenge? Because I feel like it's a big undertaking, right? It's a big thing to put together a proposal and say, hey, of all these seven eight cities, we think we're the right choice for this money. Do you have any insight into why they decided, like, let's go after this? Or was it just kind of... Well, know? I mean, we, we've told the story a lot. It was uh, some people in the uh, Coleman's administration were, you know, aware of the grant challenge and mm-hmm. had looked at it a little bit. But it was right about the time that Mayor Ginther came in. And, you know, it got on his radar. And I think that the amazement of most people, it's, you know, a brand new mayor has so many other things to worry about. But he said, "Hey, let's let, let's go explore this. You know, let's let's go take a stab at applying for this." And as he explored it and got more excited, he called Alex, who's the uh, CEO of the partnership, and said, "Hey, you know, we we should all work together on our application." And uh, you know, Alex, who really is a is a real innovative and forward thinking guy, was was almost shocked. It's like, "Wow, I'm, you know, I thought we might lead this," and he said. Heck yeah, we're you know let's stack hands and and go go after this thing, and um, what's interesting is after the dust settled and we were selected as the winner and you know we had a chance to to talk with the people who were on the evaluations, 
it was the public-private partnership that was one of the real differentiators for what we did. So that was kind of your like advantage? Yes, it was. I mean, we had a really good application that really addressed, um, you know, sort of people from all over the economic spectrum of Columbus, which was really appealing. But the Department of Transportation really thought that it would take a public-private partnership to successfully pull it off. And, you know, of course, I'm on the private side, but I happen to agree with them. Um, <laughs> it's probably a good thing. Well, a great story is uh, about a year and a half ago, I uh, had dinner with the other six cities. Oh, boy. That didn't win. And the dinner started off a little hostile. I can imagine. <laughs> well, I was surprised. I thought we would all be in the same family. But they were very, uh, very miffed that we were chosen. Were and, they were they miffed in the sense that they were kind of in disbelief? Or were they kind of angry that, you know, they had been passed over? Like, Well, <laughs> they thought they were all smarter cities than we were. Of course they did. You know, <laughs> we've been at this and, you know, we, we have much better initiatives. And the fact of the matter is, I think that was probably a true statement, you know, the smart city win really galvanized us. You know, we, we prepared for it, um, and what we proposed to do, you know, was was really unique. I mean, it wasn't about just these new technologies. It was, you know, we're applying these technologies to solve problems that lots of cities would have, mm-hmm. and and it was a public-private partnership. All of those other competing cities were just city organizations. And as we talked through it, and we talked through, you know, what, what was unique about what we proposed to do in the in the sweep of it, you know, we all parted friends at the end of dinner, and they so were no longer mad at us. It was great. That's awesome. And uh, do you guys get together still, or was that just kind of like a one-time thing? So there's a number of conferences, smart city initiatives. Uh, that one happened to be in Portland and focused on electric vehicle. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of people go to these same series of events. We see a lot of... Uh, you know, uh, of people working on other smart city initiatives, mm-hmm. and and the one thing I got to say that's that's really great about the the whole space, smart city initiatives, is it's not as competitive as most other endeavors. So you, know, you think about economic development projects. You know, if I win, you know, if Columbus wins a project, you know, some other, you know, state or city lost it. Sure, know, they didn't win. Uh, in the smart city area. You know, everybody really wants to help everybody else learn because it's not a it's not a win lose. It's a, hey, I learned and this was successful and you know maybe it would work for you guys too. We probably should have explained this before. When we say smart city initiative, what what do you mean by a smart city? Because I think that's a term that gets thrown around a lot, and I'm guessing you have a pretty specific vision of what you want that to look like for Smart Columbus. Well, that's actually a, a great question. Um, our initiative is about mobility. Okay. So the, the Smart Columbus initiatives today are about mobility because, you know, that's where the money came from. It was the sure. Department of Transportation. Um, now, the electrification is closely aligned, mm-hmm. but in the, in the two years I've been doing this and you get to travel around the country and around the world, you know, the smart cities in Europe, a lot of them have been at this for 10 years. And, sure. you know, it cuts across, you know, water you know, power consumption, you know, far more green things. Uh, I was on a, uh, a sister city trip to uh, Sevilla, Spain. Is that Columbus's sister city? Yes. Okay. Um, Learned something new today. Yeah, and it was really interesting. We visited about four cities, and I'd been to Barcelona, which is you know usually touted as one of the very top smart cities. 
Uh, but we went to four, uh, three other cities, and every one of them have been at the smart city stuff for easily 10 years. And, you know, it's interesting the things they're doing around green spaces for cooling buildings, um, you know, LED lighting. So when we look at where we are, we're certainly focused on mobility. It's, it's probably the low-hanging fruit. But we think about the sustainability and over time, I mean, we have an ambition to do more than just mobility. Sure. And I mean, let's not minimize how big of a, a task mobility is though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so with, with the mobility piece, you know, I'm guessing you're working kind of in that, that case sector, right? The connected, autonomous, shared and electric vehicles, right? Absolutely. Okay. And so, uh, you know, whenever I was coming to your office, I noticed that in the very front showroom, you guys have a bunch of electric cars out, right? Um, why are why are electric cars such a big push for smart Columbus? Like, why is that a thing that you guys have? You know, I know you're doing so much else, and we'll get into you know the shuttles and things like that. But kind of just starting with electric vehicles, what do you think is really significant about pushing that out to you know the Columbus area? Oh, good, I love that question. Um, so that was the the money that we got from the Paul G. Allen, you know, formerly known as Vulcan, and that was separate from the Smart City Challenge, but awarded all kind of at once. All at once. So that was an additional ten million to help drive. Uh, electrification, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and it has, you know, a number of work streams. So, you know, we work on city fleets. So the city of Columbus has bought, you know, 93 electric vehicles that are, you know, now in operation. Um, it's one of the largest city electric fleets in the country. And what kind of, I mean, what kind of vehicles are those? Uh, you know, I think they bought a combination of uh, Nissan Leafs mm -hmm. and some Chevy Bolts, uh, and how are they using them? Just, well, just for like government officials? I'm just, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, the city operates, most cities operate, you know, fleets of vehicles, that, you know, for people to go out and do inspections. Sure. And um, I'm probably not the best one to address it. I don't do that much city work. But no, but they're leasing but, these vehicles. Yeah, and yeah. What's, you know, what I was really surprised about fleet vehicles is they're actually not driven that many miles on an annual basis. You know, the average person drives their car, what, 12,000 miles? Yeah. Most fleet vehicles go less than six. Is that annually. just because they're sitting in the, like, you know, you just grab it for a little bit and then you leave it? or? Yeah, they're just not running big routes. I mean, of course, cities aren't all that, you know, it's, you know, cities only so far from one end to the other. And sure. that's where you're doing your job. You're not doing the home and back commute every day or anything like that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the electric vehicles, you know, have plenty of range to get somebody through a day. You know, so it's a good match sure. for the range uh, of an electric vehicle. But anyway, so there's a city fleet, uh, fleet component that's well underway. We have some initiatives around private fleets, but the biggest uh, batch that we're trying to uh, influence is just consumer adoption. So we have a, uh, a baseline that was 2015, where 0.37% of all vehicles in the seven county region, which is where we're trying to affect this, were electric. That's not a high number. <laughs> Well, at the time, the national average was about 1%. So, okay. you know, significantly lower. Mm -hmm. uh, the best places in the country back at that baseline time were probably at 3%. Some of the best in the world are probably at 30 Wow. And our goal is to uh, quadruple that to 1.8%. Sure. So you may say, well, gosh, that sounds, uh, the, the percentage increase is big, but, you know, your ultimate number is not, you know, huge. huge. But what's important about it is it it is the future. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, vehicles 
will be electric. And why why is that so like definitive? I mean, it seems I'm watching you say it, and you just seem like so clear-minded of like, of course, I can't believe everyone else doesn't see this. Well, I didn't really necessarily see it early on. You so, know, when we started on this, people were were looking at that 4x, and they some people would say, oh, that's going to be a really hard mark, and other people would say, oh, that that should be really easy. Well, when you got down and talked to the car companies, they also had, you know, some thought it would be easy, some thought it would be more difficult. But in the couple years since we won, look at the announcement of the commitment of automakers to going towards electric vehicles. It's unbelievable. I mean, one after another, they've got these huge fleets, and we get a chance in our role to talk to the OEMs on, let's say, a, uh, you know, a not quite a public, you know, I mean, sure. we're getting some insights that they wouldn't, you know, broadly share. Yeah. And, you know, most of them admit it's just a better way to propel a car. That's incredible. Because I think most people, conventional thinking would say, I'm doing this for, you know, altruistic reasons. I'm trying to help the environment. But this really isn't as good as a gas-powered engine. It's amazing to hear that, actually, it's, it might be better, right? Well, it's certainly better for the consumer, and I'll tell you why. You move from you know an internal combustion engine powered car has I don't know you know ten thousand moving parts you know electric vehicle has about two hundred mm -hmm. I mean there's just not very much to go wrong you have no transmission uh, you have regenerative braking so the brakes last much longer I've driven an electric vehicle now for a year and a half. And I have not even put windshield washer fluid in the car. So I don't know how big the tank is in the car, but I've never, ever had it serviced. So the number one reason to buy an electric car is not having to fill it with wind washer fluid. Is that right? Well, you know, I think there's some bigger benefits than that. But, okay. Um, All right. You know, it's a, imagine never really going to a gas station. I do have other cars that require gas. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, I mean, that's something you know, you have to do what, weekly or every other week. You have sure. to go to a gas station. Imagine you just fuel up at home. Yeah. That's just incredibly convenient. 80% of the people charge at home. You know, the acceleration, the fact they're incredibly quiet. I mean, now there are some things that we still need to get over. You know, they don't go as far. Sure. You know, so there's some range issues, but the newer models go further and further. You know, charging is not as widely available as it needs to be. I mean, that's one of our initiatives is to get much more charging out in both workplaces, public uh, locations, and, and help people get charging at home. Uh, both AEP and IGS Energy have rebate programs to help that. Uh, so lots and lots of work is underway to help, you know, improve it. Mm -hmm. So we're still early. But, sure. Um, we're well on our way, so we had a, you know, not surprisingly, a ramp that we're trying to achieve, and we're, uh, you know, really right on track with what we uh, want to do. I, I think we'll uh, easily surpass our goal. That's awesome. No, that's great to hear. Um, and so the second part of that kind of case acronym, right, is the autonomous, um, self-driving cars. And, you know, I think most people, their lay understanding of self-driving cars are just they see in, in movies or in the news, right? So it's a little science fiction-y, or maybe it seems kind of scary. What kind of initiatives does Smart Columbus have with autonomous vehicles specifically? Sure. So in the uh, U.S. DOT grants, we had proposed an autonomous vehicle uh, shuttle. And our proposed route was from the transit center that's in Easton. Uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Columbus, it's a big shopping destination. 
north of downtown, but also a very big uh, concentration of workplaces. And the transit center is not an easy walk to most of the businesses. So the idea was to connect that transit center to the workplaces. But we had uh, a number of vehicle manufacturers and operators of autonomous vehicles come in and look at that. And, you know, it's, it's beyond really the state of the uh, technology today for a couple of reasons. One is the speed limits. So most of these autonomous vehicles, the shuttle style, their max speed is about 25 miles an hour. And that's not a lot of fun whenever you're on a 35 mile an hour road. No. In fact, you know, and on most 35 mile an hour roads, people are going closer to, you know, 45. 40 or yeah. 45. And the concern was that would, you know, ir- irritated drivers would, you know, cut around the vehicle and, you know, does that cause create more a problem. safety issue? Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. And you still have some issues with unprotected left turns, which the route we had proposed have a number of those. So we, uh, we've redesigned our route and uh, we're going to run one downtown on uh, some downtown roads actually right outside connecting our location here with the new Veterans Memorial, uh, COSI, which is the Science Museum. And uh, we've got a couple alternates for, you know, depending on traffic and, you know, other events, but uh, a route that people felt much more comfortable, you know, for the state of the, really the technology today. Sure. And so what was involved in kind of, I mean, obviously you have to plan for, like you said, unprotected left turns, which are you know, technologically just more difficult for these cars. But what's involved with you guys deciding this is the route we want to do and then kind of finding a way to make that possible? Because as I understand, I mean, the rollout is, is not imminent, but it's coming pretty soon, right? Yes, very soon. So, well, we, we partnered up. So the, the city, uh, Drive Ohio, which is the uh, state's uh, the state of Ohio's initiative to really pull together all the regulatory, you know, agencies involved in uh, autonomous vehicles, uh, led by Jim Barna, who's just been a great partner, uh, and OSU. So we all kind of collaborated collaborated on this. Uh, we we studied lots of routes. I think one of the the key challenges that we learned uh, really over the course of the last year is. You know, are you trying to run an autonomous vehicle for the novelty sake, or are you trying to actually solve a transit challenge? And you can run novelty ones pretty much every anywhere you'd like. Sure. Uh, what we were looking at is there's a lot of foot traffic down here, and a lot of interest in people moving around. You know, on the new uh, Scioto Mile, which is beautiful. You know, connecting Bicentennial Park, uh, our location. As I said, the new Veterans Memorial that's about to open, and uh, in Kosai. So we think that's a really will make for a very interesting route. Mm-hmm. Uh, the speeds are about right. The distances are you know just far enough for somebody to say, well, yeah, I'd like to go there, but that's maybe a little further than I just care to walk. So, so everything just kind of fell into place for this. Yeah, it did, and we had looked at a lot of routes. Um, you know, we've looked at routes at OSU, which are you know certainly something that we want to tackle uh, as we expand this program, and we'll we'll continue to refine those. Yeah. At the same time, in the, in the light of what our challenge and uh, the funding, you know, we needed to do something that served the public, right? There's lots of use cases you could find, you know, for purely a business park, uh, which are really interesting, but 
not something that you know was in the scope of what we're going to tackle at this point. So you think there's not only a lot of utility here, but also a lot of like it seems like societal benefit, right, for the citizens of Columbus and you know, students, things like that. Absolutely. Okay. And so, uh, like I said, I, I know that the shuttle is kind of coming out soon, and as I understand, you're kind of breaking up into multiple phases to expand that. Is that right? Yes. How do you work on scaling that up? Because as you said, I mean, the technology it, it exists, but it's got its limitations. Sure. Well, and that's, you know, you start on a, you know, a smaller, more controlled route, you learn, uh, you improve, you know, how, how do you maintain the vehicles, you know, sure. how, you know, we, we, we've got projections on how long the battery and how long it takes to charge, but, you know, we'll learn all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what point does inclement weather, you know, really force you to take, you know, probably suspend the service for a while, you know, the, the, uh, the company that we've chosen to do the work has real experience in in climates similar to ours. You know, a lot of the autonomous vehicle work is going on in places that basically have very nice weather year-round. A lot of Arizona testing locations. I just think the yeah. executives like to go there. That's, well, my, that's my take on it. Well, it's, it's just easier. Yeah, yeah. What companies are you kind of leaning on in the autonomous sector to kind of be like, you guys are really going to be our, our go-to company for this initiative? Well, we uh, we put out an RFP, okay. Uh, you know, with very you know clear um, capacity, you know, and requirements that we were looking to fulfill, uh, that were you know well thought out, sure. and uh, you know lots of input from kind of all the stakeholders to say this is you know what we need to achieve, and uh, I think we had six responses. What's interesting is in the, again, keep in mind, this is, you know, a shuttle style vehicle. So when you think about the testing that, a, you know, a Waymo is doing or, you know, perhaps Apple, I'm not really sure, or an Uber, mm-hmm. those are more automobiles using autonomous they're, technology. They're kind of like the, the cars that we own now. Correct. As opposed to a shuttle, you're talking about more something like an RTA bus. Yes, yes, exactly. And every one of those companies are very small and uh, you know limited production capacity so um, you know they all have their their pluses and minuses things that they're better at fair amount of variability in the vehicles Uh, some people make just the vehicles some people are just operators of other people's vehicles You know, we needed some, we needed obviously vehicles uh, because we don't have those. <laughs> it's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, but we also wanted somebody to do the operation. So, you know, managing the drivers, the routes, the maintenance, uh, you know, really turnkey because we don't really have the resources to do that. And, uh, you know, we picked a company that we think has, uh, you know, a, a pretty good vehicle, but really some of the very best autonomous technology. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're excited to get going. What company is that? Uh, it's May Mobility. Okay, and so why did you pick May Mobility? We had all the vehicle manufacturers in to present to a, a wide audience of city and uh, the partnership, OSU. It had to be uh, awesome. Yeah, this was about seven months ago. Okay. And the woman, I think she's one of their co-founders. Oh my gosh, I mean... You could just tell when somebody really gets their business. Yeah. And, and she was, you know, the most impressive of the bunch. Um, uh, they, they run a less expensive vehicle, which mm-hmm. made their proposal more affordable for us. Sure. 
and uh, you know it, it's one thing when you're thinking through a deployment but it's really helpful when the partners you're looking at have done it enough times and they can really help you see things that you're not yet anticipating. They're proactive. They're able to say, here yeah. are the things you're going to need to do, and we've already got this kind of taken care of. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, when you read through their proposals, you could just, you know, you'd read some, it's like, hey, okay, I understand that. And the next one, it's like, wow, you yeah. know, that's, and, and they were in that wow category. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, I'm kind of curious with this shuttle uh, service, is this going to be like a free service? Is this something you're hoping to monetize? Yeah, no, it's a free service. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, you know, especially on that route. Yeah. No, I, I was just wondering because I think it's cool what you're doing here. You know, obviously it's got a lot of societal benefit, but at some point, um, you know, maybe not you guys, but I know a lot of these manufacturers are looking at ways to monetize this technology. Sure. And, and I'm just kind of curious, what is, you know, you are a public but private partnership. How much of an effort is there being made to find ways to monetize these different sectors? Or, or is it kind of, let's just roll it out for now and we'll worry about that down the road? Well, you know, at an initiative level, you know, there are certain things that, you know, are for the good of, you know, the residents. And, you know, the city provides some of those. As uh, is, is we test out many of the, uh, the things that we're doing in Smart Columbus, you know, many of them are pilots, and we've just concluded some work with Deloitte, literally wrapped up on Wednesday of this week, to help us determine, you know, if they're successful, where should they go longer term? And, you know, some of them, you know, Coda isn't obviously, you know, the owner. And uh, we worked through that with Warpsy and OSU and really are all of our, you know, partners in the Smart City Initiative, and we have let's just call it 100% agreement on where everything will ultimately reside, which is great uh, because yeah. we're two years in and we have two years to go. That's awesome. So that's that's all, you know, very well understood. And so therefore, you know, some of those will go to other people who have funding and sustainable sources. And there's other things that, uh, you know, we still have to determine, you know, is that a city service? Is that a uh, something the private sector funds? Is there a way to monetize that? We did a lot of work over the last uh, eight weeks trying to, to get at that, and we have uh, we have more work to do, but have a I think a good roadmap to get to the answers and, and you know make sure we can continue this work on into the future. And and you mentioned that you've got two years to go. What happens at the end of those two years? I mean, is this is this just a four-year grant or? It is a four-year grant. Okay, so at the end of those two years, is there any chance for a renewal? I mean, it seems like we your team's doing like amazing work here. Um, I just don't know. I mean, does that continue on in a different form? How do you kind of see it playing out? Sure. Um, well, as I said, some of these things are pilots, and you know, the goal is to conduct the pilot. And we've always known uh, some things will be successful, and some things may not. Um, and you know, success in our minds means we're really solving a problem that's of value to to people, to the city. Sure. Right. Um, and even if the technology demonstration is successful, it, you know, it may not be solving the problem that we hope to. Sure. You, you're looking for more than just this technology works. You're looking for this technology works and it's helping the people we aim to help. Exactly. And we don't know where that sits. Mm -hmm. But we do know, you know, that the grant period includes, you know, get it deployed, do evaluations and, and then make that decision of whether or not it's been successful against that metric. Um, 
our job and the reason we did all this work with Deloitte is, all right, so let's assume these things are successful. How do we continue them and who continues it? So that's the part that we have largely you know, determined because the grant money does run out. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's $50 million, but it does go up quick. It, it like absolutely that. does. Okay. So that's the reason we, we got to work early to decide, well, all right, how do we continue the work that should be continued and who should drive that work? And so it sounds like in two years, it sounds like you're already working on like the secession plan. Yeah. But in sustainability two, is what we call it. That's a way better way, especially with uh, electric vehicles. Yes. Tone, right? <laughs> the sustainability plan. Um, seems like you already given thought to that. Will there be like a moment in two years where you kind of have to sit down and kind of start transitioning people? Or do you just kind of see it as just a natural evolution and one day it'll just kind of have already happened and then, you know, Smart Columbus will you know, do its wrap up and go from there? Uh, we have three models. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You really thought it through. Oh, yeah. 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 We've got uh, three. Uh, I think it'd be a little premature. Uh, we uh, we discussed them. So we have, in the Smart Columbus, we have a uh, an executive committee that mm-hmm. has been in existence since we started, which is a mix of private and public sector folks that really help keep the initiative um you know, sort of headed towards the North Star of what we would like to do. And we reviewed the work with them. Uh, they had had a chance to uh, get the mayor's input. And uh, let's just say we're all very aligned with where the mayor would like to go because, you know, in many cases it's, you know, he leads what we're trying to do in smart cities. Of course. Uh, we also have a leadership committee that that uh, that he is a part of, uh, includes uh, President Drake and, and Alex Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet in October with that group, and you know we sort of need to uh, make sure everybody's in alignment with what we want to do. Yeah. But I, th- I think we know how we'll proceed. I'm involved because I mean Ohio State's one of the biggest, obviously really well known and really great public school. How involved has OSU been with Smart Columbus? Uh, they've been involved from the very start. They were part of the group that helped write the uh, proposal. Um, They've been a member of our executive and the leadership teams since inception. And uh, we have really a full-time staff person with OSU that's co-located with us here at the uh, Experience Center. So we're uh, engaged with them on pretty much everything and lots and lots of levels. I feel like uh, for anyone who's ever been to Columbus, it's hard not to be engaged with Ohio State when you're in Columbus, right? Well, but it's also, they're so, I mean, it's such a big institution. That's Uh, true. That's true. You know, Part of the reason we really wanted somebody embedded here is, you know, if it was left up to uh, any of us individually on the outside, you know, you, your inclination would be go, well, oh, I know this person or I know this, you know, college or this department. Yeah. And yet the work of Smart Columbus can cut across lots of places. And that's what we wanted to foster. And we thought we could only do that with somebody who actually worked for the university. It makes a lot of sense. I'd like to pivot and kind of talk about what you see as the future of smart cities and, and mobility in general. So you're building smart Columbus, and you've got these sustainability plans in place. How do you, how are you trying to kind of make Columbus a model for what other cities can do to make their cities, you know, smart cities, or to make their cities kind of take up the initiatives you guys are starting here? How do you set up a model for other cities to follow? Well, I mean, that's a, a part of our grant responsibility was to teach other cities what we learn. So we have somebody on staff who's who's documenting uh, in what we call a playbook of you know what our experience has been to help make it digestible for others. You know we go to conferences, you know we host other cities and states, 
uh, and frankly other countries in here all the time. Uh, so we're very regularly involved in, in all of that work. And um, so the, the thing about Columbus, and I've lived in most places I, I have lived have, you know, many more public transit options. They have leisure rail, they have train, uh, you know, we have a bus line today. Yeah. And, you know, we're starting to grow that out. You know, we got our first micro transit service in Chariot, and then we have Share. Mm-hmm. Uh, two months ago, who'd ever ridden an electric scooter? Now we have, I don't know, a thousand of them in town. Yeah. You know, it, and, bird scooters, right? Bird and, and lime, lime scooters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, those things are transformative. I mean, it's unbelievable. All and the what's stuff that's? going on. Have you ridden one? I, I had it's so much fun actually. Uh, Haley, who's here with us, was the one who turned me on to you know, trying these, and they're so much fun. But I, I mean, again, you're kind of this you're this high level guy in the mobility sector. How do you think electric scooters are are changing the way we we get around? I mean, what's your take on why they're so effective and why they're catching on so much? Well, one, they're fun. Yeah, agreed. You know, I mean, you ever see somebody driving down the street doesn't have a smile on their face? Yeah, I, you're right. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's part of it. I think it really does solve, you know, one of the things we struggle with and we talk about all the time is this first mile, last mile. Right. You know, so Coded redesigned their bus routes for the first time in 30 years and have seen a really nice uptick in ridership, which is great. So, you know, they really yeah. studied it and a lot of it is about higher frequency on, you know, the, the the most populous lines. Okay. You know, that's that's what has been driving ridership. But, you know, those buses are never going to go to everybody's door or drop you off exactly where you want to go. You know, walking is a solution, a great solution, depending on, you know, where you live and what, what that How distance far, is. Yeah. You know, bikes are, could be a good gap. Mm-hmm. You know, a car could be. I think these scooters could be a tremendous, right? I mean, if... Sure. I look at myself, you know, at lunchtime, you know, if I really would like to go, you know, like a mile away, well, I yeah. could, sure, I could walk that, mm-hmm. but boy, to hop on a, a scooter and pop up, um, I, I mentioned Coda. I mean, if I have a meeting at Coda, mm-hmm. I drive a bird, I put it right in front of the door <laughs> and park it and I walk in, you know, it's, uh, it's a no brainer. It is. Yeah. I mean, we have a challenge in the winter, um, Sure. I imagine that the operations get scaled back. I imagine they don't have that same challenge uh, in the Bay Area or in no, you know, run, Arizona. Run, run, never rains. Yeah. Or I shouldn't know. It, well, yeah. it never rains. But certainly never snows in those places. Right. And so, and kind of just circling back to this this future, you know, you're hosting all these people. They're coming to you. They're looking at you. I mean, it's that's a decent amount of pressure. But how do you kind of have them? What do they take away from here? What do you think they leave Smart Columbus going? This is what Mark and his team are doing, and this is what we need to be doing. Well, I'll—I don't think I'll answer that yet, because I want to answer your previous question, which is, you know, what's the approach? Sure. And, and the approach is, I want to try everything, okay. because I don't know what's going to succeed. You know, the market will ultimately decide what services people want to have. Sure. Um, you know, we had Cardigo here, uh, a two-seat vehicle with uh, pretty good availability, but that ended up not being a really good sustainable business for them. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it was the vehicle itself. Um, lots of kids on college wanted to share those vehicles. It was just a two-seater vehicle. 
you know. Um, yeah, so it's not as easy to get, you know, you but, three or four. But we promoted it, and, we, you know, if at some point they wanted to come back into the market, I frankly think a different vehicle, a little bit larger one, would be uh, would be terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, microtrans, I think that will continue to grow. Uh, dockless bike sharing, you know, I think that's going to be a huge part. We've got a couple of companies that are coming in that help businesses manage commuters, you know, with very intentional technology around parking and incentives, things that we've never had before. Um, the downtown transit pass, you know, 45,000 bus passes. Yeah. I mean, you know, lots of stuff, but people will ultimately decide. I mean, our challenge, you know, broadly is, I don't know, 85% of the people in the market drive by themselves to and from work. Mm-hmm. And they do it because it's easy. Sure. Um, it's pretty quick and kind of just done it that way forever. You know, mm-hmm. we put out a challenge to our companies in the, in the partnership to see if we could drive a 10% reduction in, in single occupancy commutes. Sure. Well, you know, so what are my options? Well, you got the bus. We've had that. Suddenly you've got micro transit. Suddenly you've got scooters. I would predict that the advent of the scooters is going to drive more markings of bike lanes. It makes a lot of sense, right? Right. I yeah. mean, people are zipping all over the place. Now, the city's not caught up with that yet, but, you know, we met with a guy from the Department of uh, Public Service who manages it. You know, they're watching it really closely. They want to see the data. Where are people picking them up? Where are they going? What's the volume? That could easily lead to more, you know, so let's we'll call them bike lanes, but they're bike scooter lanes that would be, you know, probably a little bit safer than they are today. Sure. You know, think how that advances over the next couple of years. Suddenly as a worker, heck, I, I got a lot of options in how I get to and from work. We're working with commute companies. So let's just take my office. Um, you know, I, I like you, I don't like you. I'm, I'm just kind of being hypothetical here. But some yeah. of these commute solutions allow you to really match up riders um, really on, on likes and dislikes and where you live in a way that takes out that kind of personal, oh my gosh, I, I would never want to ask, right? Because sure, I right. make it turned down. Yeah. But you can do it through an app. And, and a company really cool. called Scoop uh, mm-hmm. has been in town with a number of different companies. Very cool model. And so the idea being like I could select preferences. So if I'm one of those people, it's like I'm not a morning person. Well, I, I am a morning person, but you're not a morning person. So you can say, I want someone who's not going to talk to me who's going to leave me alone. We're both going to have our headphones in the whole time, and we're just happy to share a car because it's cheaper. Yep. Whereas I may say... I want to listen to the football game, and exactly, I want to talk right. stats all yeah. to and from work. Right. Yeah, and if you found... If that's what you, was your passion, mm-hmm. and you found three other people wanted to talk oh, football man. stats, yeah. you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is the best commute I ever had in my life. Right, right. no, that's... Okay, that is really yeah. cool. I didn't even know something like that was in the works. That's yep. unbelievable. Yeah, very, very... You know, and so all this stuff is coming. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the, the, the sharing stuff, I think, is huge. So we'll see what works out. I yeah. mean, you know, we're like, boy, we'd love to test things here, find out what people like. I mean, clearly they love the scooters. Yeah, that is, uh, without a doubt. I don't know. It's interesting, though, and, and I'd love to get your take on this. You know, some cities are pushing back. Some cities are saying, we don't want your scooters here. Why do you think that is? Well, a couple things. Um I, you know, the cities own the right of way, you know, sure. so if it's the sidewalks and, you know, you've seen in the newspapers that, you know, people dump these things over and you're trying to walk down the street and you're tripping over scooters, 
you know, that wouldn't be very attractive. Right. I don't know, maybe it's a, a Midwest value, but I have yet to see a scooter who's not sitting up on its kickstand. I've never seen one lane over. Right, except on, like, you know, the Internet. You'll see people that, like, put them in all kinds of weird places. But so far, I mean, we're from Cleveland. Uh, Bird was up there. Same thing. I mean, they're always perfectly standing up, always in, like, a very convenient location. I actually rode one to a meeting once. I mean... Yeah. yeah, you know, so I, I think we're we're being well behaved, you know, with uh, with the scooters. Uh, you know, there's the safety aspect. So you know, when they launched here, you know, the they sort of showed up unannounced. You know, well, yeah, Bird <laughs> certainly showed up unannounced. Yeah. And you know, I really commend the city for you know taking a taking a breath because people were really excited and they didn't just say you know not here not now you didn't right. go through the process I, I really i think they did a nice job of working through it and continue to work through it so they recently decided you know let's not have them on the sidewalk bike lanes are okay you know my personal opinion i think i'd rather ride it on a sidewalk in certain places Definitely. Uh, um, but i could see where you know i mean th- th- that's not my decision but you know we got to be thoughtful about it i th- i think more on the bike lanes you know, mm-hmm. makes makes a lot of sense. I I think the places that said not in my city just didn't want to deal with it. Didn't yeah. want to get the learning, and you know you got to learn. You know you've got to, you know. And so, and and kind of pivot. I know a lot of what you do here is working with like this connected city, right? You're working with all these different components around, you know, not just self-driving shuttles, but also trying to educate the public. And there's, you know, the, the fun terms that people throw around are the V2V, vehicle to vehicle, or V2X, vehicle to everything. How do you work with companies that are trying to enhance that communication, especially as someone who's in charge of such a big partnership? And, and what are the ways that you see that communication playing out here in Columbus? Specifically on the connected vehicle yes. pieces? Yeah. Well, very interesting. So next week, uh, I guess this will be uh, after your, uh, your podcast, mm-hmm. is the Midwest Governors Association. Okay. meeting uh, here in Columbus. It's actually at COSI. And uh, I happen to be leading uh, or moderating on a panel. That Not is, surprising at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that specifically addresses, you know, how does how do cities and states think about the deployment of the infrastructure needed to enable connected vehicle technology? So the standard that's been under development for well over 10 years, almost 20 years, is DSRC, right. Dedicated Short Range Communications, which right. is, you know, the, the communication between the roadside units and the vehicles themselves. So that's where you get the V to V or V to X, right? right. Well, that roadside technology is largely connected via fiber mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Columbus is, and, and the state of Ohio is in a great position because of lots of fiber in the ground. You still need those roadside units, but the technology for communicating uh, from the vehicle to the infrastructure or vehicle to the vehicle has been this DSRC. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, very, very low latency, you know, secure. I mean, all the things that they've tested it for, and all of a sudden 5G is knocking at the door. It's imminent. It is imminent, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't had the same rigor of testing as those other technologies. And so that's one of, that's really what my panel is about. I've got somebody from Ford uh, Mobility, their their city solutions group, 
I've got a gentleman from AT&T mm -hmm. and uh, a guy from KPMG who does worldwide consulting on infrastructure technology to talk about this. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll sort of, well, I was going to say I was going to preview it, but now this will be after the event. You know, I think what we want to say and have people walk away from is Yes, there are two technologies that are about to butt heads. Right. Happens all the time in technology. You know, one approach is to do nothing and wait, which I think is a bad decision. Yeah. What we would really encourage people to say is they'll probably coexist. You know, over time, one may figure out a better application for one set of roads versus another. Mm -hmm. But as you go to deploy, you know, think in terms of redundancy. You know, if you're going to put a power plug on the pole, put two outlets in it. If you're right. going to run fiber, run two. You know, just, you know, don't lock yourself into one position because, you know, I, I, my personal opinion is 5G wins out. So you're trying to future-proof is what you're saying. you got to future-proof. Right. And I think that makes a ton of sense. And so how are you working, you know, at the DRSC, you've got 5G. How are you working to make sure that all this stuff is, I mean, you've got to be juggling so many different parts of this. How do you keep a clear head and where do you want it to go? Well, you know, I'm not super involved in the connected vehicle, although I think it's interesting. We will put a connected vehicle route on our autonomous vehicle route here, so all that will be connected. Mm -hmm. We'll have cars, because we do our test drives, it'll be outfitted with the uh, onboard units to enable people to see how that looks. Sure. Uh, we're working with AT&T and NXP on some of those. Um, as I said, that's not something we're, you know, directly involved in, uh, I should say, on the private side of this. Right. You know, we have a very defined pilot that's part of the Smart City Challenge that has a couple of routes, Cleveland Avenue being, I think, the, the largest or the longest of that for mm -hmm. uh, bus rapid transit, and then the Route 33 corridor. Uh, you're familiar the Smart with Corridor. The right? Smart Corridor, yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we have all of those tests that will go on over the next couple of years, and it will help us determine, you know, what what's the future. I think the the real upside on all that is, you know, safety, you know, better, yeah. you know. And that's really the big goal with the connected vehicles is trying to make it as safe as possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I want to be respectful of your time. So just kind of one last thing, and then and then uh, we'll, we'll get out of here. But. Uh, you know, big thing that I've noticed in the news, um, and you know, whenever I have these conversations, because you know, self-driving cars and electric cars, it's it's a fun dinner conversation, right? Something people like talking about. One of the things I really notice is people have this hesitancy with the self-driving cars. They they see these these couple accidents, right? And they start saying, "Well, this is a problem because." I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a better driver than anybody. Exactly, right? Everyone everyone says, you know, I would never do that. But the thing is, they look at these these situations where the technology, you know, didn't quite work properly or, or maybe there was a glitch, something like that. But they ignore all the times when they were driving when they, you know, maybe had two drinks at half hour. They were driving when they were really tired or uh, when they were angry or maybe they were or texting. texting. Yeah, exactly. How do you, I mean, part of your job has to be kind of getting um, the Columbus area and, and, you know, this region ready for, for the future. How do you handle those conversations? Without, I mean, it's, you know, I have the same reaction you do. A lot of times I find myself laughing. How do you handle those people and kind of say, I, I understand what you're saying, but here is why this is a better way forward. 
Well, I don't know that there's you know one answer. I, I think our, our shuttle experience will be really good. Sure. Uh, we will always have an operator in it. Mm-hmm. You know, so one of the things that, gosh, you know, the code of the bus drivers is, you know, are they going to eliminate jobs? No, I think they're different jobs. I think you become an operator, but I really have a hard time imagining that we'll have truck platoons or autonomous vehicles that have no operators at all. Sure. Um, I just don't see it. And, you know, people get exposed to it. As I said, I've got, uh, you know, autonomy comes in five levels. And right. You know, there's lots of cars on the road today that have level two or three That's autonomy. Tesla autopilot. Yeah, traffic jam from Audi, things like that. Yeah, all those. And uh, I have that. And uh, you know, you uh, you're very cautious the first hundred <laughs> miles you drive that. You think, oh boy, is this is this going to really stop? Right. And you know, it's like anything. You you build up confidence over time. It's like, wow. You know, very reliably, it has never failed to brake properly. Now the auto steer, right, is the other sure, component. Sure, lanes. I would say that's, uh, in my personal experience, about ninety percent reliable. Sure. You know, in ninety, that that ten percent gap, mm-hmm. you know, says, "Well, I'm going to always hold the steering wheel." Yeah. Um, well, and, and I think that's how people get there. Is you, you know, we'll get a lot more miles. We'll get a lot more people exposed. Speed makes a big difference, right? So our low-speed shuttle, you know, be pretty hard for somebody to. I mean, the, 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 the numbers are, you know, accidents under 25 miles an hour, like nobody gets killed. Yeah. You know, it's always at greater speeds. Sure. And those vehicles won't go at greater speeds. That's not to say that somebody else going at a greater speed couldn't, you know, cause an accident. Of course. Um, I mean, that's. And you're never gonna be able to control for that. No, you can't control for that. But I, I do think it's about just getting people more and more comfortable, you know, exposed to those set, sets of technologies, you know, as, the, as they rack up more miles and, you know, people are here at the dinner conversation and right. it's like, wow, this is, you know, this is really, really getting there. Sure. You know, I, I got to tell you, you know, adaptive cruise control, which is essentially what the auto braking function is, you know, it's been around. I'm not the, the current, the last time I bought a car, which is now five years ago had it as an option mm-hmm. and I love cruise control I mean I just you know sure. man, I get on the freeway you know click it in and you know 68 uh, miles an hour or whatever I do yeah. you know it's pretty nice but it's irritating when the traffic slows down you got to so disengage it, it. Right. And, but I didn't really think through oh my gosh I would always get adaptive cruise control I mean it's just such a great technology and it's really pretty fail safe yeah I mean, I, as I said I've never ever had an issue with it you know all the way down to a dead stop Mm-hmm. And you know, that's when it's in most use is stop and go traffic, which most people wouldn't anticipate. Well, and that's like the most irritating part of driving, right? It, it is. You know, no one really seems to complain whenever you're on the highway and you're going, you know, 68 miles an hour and everything's good. You're listening to music. Everyone complains whenever it's stop and go and you got to, and that's whenever you start texting because you're distracted and this technology can really help us avoid a lot of those problems. Well, and it speeds traffic because, you know, the, you know, you get in stop and go and then somebody does, you know, they get distracted so they don't go. Sure. And then, you know, it's all backed up, you know, the, Lots of studies have shown, you know, the, the technology can make that that smooth, much smoother than, than the human driver. But it won't happen overnight. And so the idea is just exposure and kind of reassurance and just show these people, you know, in society at large, this technology is okay. And, and it's safe and, and we're rolling it out in a cautious way that's mindful of kind of the health and safety of our citizens. Yeah, I mean, the biggest danger really 
and growing is distracted driving. Right, right. Um, I had, uh, just as a side note, uh, one of the last technology firms I worked with in California uh, was a a neuroscience company. And we, I'll never forget, had a a really interesting guy in from MIT's, um, gosh, it was either their media lab or their department of aging. I can't remember which. But they had a, a Volvo car that was outfitted, out, outfitted with all these sensors. And the most important was an eye tracker. Okay. And the long story short is they had um, a frequency that a normal driver, how their eye moves from looking out the windshield, looking at the dash, looking at the rear view mirror, looking at the side view mirror. There's a frequency you can plot really just like on an oscilloscope that a normal driver, you know, let's just say that line looks like this. Yeah, and this is straight flat line. Yeah, yeah, it's a very regular, it's just that's how people drive. You right. put lots of people in the car and data all, you know, gets normalized. You put a phone in their hand and it drops like a rock because yeah. they really are distracted. It's called cognitive load. Mm-hmm. And what, what I found super fascinating is it makes no difference whether it's hands-free or not. Really? So even if I'm if I've got my phone, but I'm planning just using the Bluetooth. It's cognitive load. Your brain gets diverted to that phone conversation. I know me personally, I never really knew it until I, I saw those studies. If I had a really important phone call, I never wanted to be driving the car. And I was like, that's why, because I need to be on this phone call. Right. Think about it next time. It's, yeah, really, it's, it's stunning to me that that result has never been more widely published. No, I, yeah, I mean, and, and not just that, I think about being on the other side of that. A lot of times, uh, you know, when I'm working with people and they give me a call from the phone, a lot of their thoughts are a little more jumbled, right? They're not as to the point, and uh, that, that certainly makes sense. To I mean, I why. really wouldn't be surprised, not predicting this, but I really wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it gets mandated at some point that phones essentially shut off when the accelerometer detects that you're... Yeah, I I just wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, distracted driving is a huge issue. Well, that's why, you know, hopefully with self-driving cars, we'll kind of avoid it, right? Right. Yeah. All right, Mark, you've been so generous with your time, and and we could do this for hours, I think. Uh, (laughs) uh, Maybe someday there's a part two, but, you know, just to kind of close up for our audience, where are some places that people can check in on Smart Columbus and just stay up to date with all the great stuff your team's doing here? Well, Ground Zero would be right here where we are at the Experience Center, which is at 170 South Civic Center Drive. We're open seven days a week, at least uh, while the weather's nice, we're open seven days a week into the evenings. Uh, you know, come down, do a, schedule a test drive, uh, meet people, see see what's going on. We'll continue to uh, evolve the space and add new technologies and swap out things. So, you know, try to keep it interesting. Sure. Uh, that's what I'd recommend. Great. Well, thanks so much, Mark. And uh, again, hopefully we do it again soon. Great. Thanks so much.